a Podcast One production. Your Morning Agenda, Summer Edition. Hello, Natasha Belling here. Thanks for your company this Thursday, the 31st of December. Happy New Year's Eve. As many of you are enjoying a well-deserved break, we are looking at the top news stories that have set the agenda in 2020 and will still be making news next year. We'll be back with all the breaking news from Monday, the 11th of January. But until then, enjoy your morning agenda's summer edition. Ronnie Khan was a successful event caterer who was at the top of her game. But a light bulb moment with a childhood friend in South Africa changed her life forever. Ronnie founded food rescue charity Oz Harvest, which has this year been in more demand than ever, as a growing number of Australians faced financial hardship and for the first time needed to rely on charities for food and shelter. This year, Ronnie released her much-anticipated memoir, A Repurposed Life, a timely account in 2020 about finding your purpose and the gift of giving to others. And Ronnie Khan joins us today. Ronnie, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Natasha. I love chatting with you. Oh, it's an absolute joy chatting with you too. In regards to your memoir, Repurposed Life, that is the title, In hindsight, you could not have chosen a better time to launch this book. Tell us why you wanted to write your story. Over the last 17 years, I've had so many people come to me to be mentored, to be coached, to share their frustrations, their fears. And first of all, you can't reach everybody. And secondly, it just sounded like every single person is out there looking for this magical notion or potion of purpose. And I wanted to dispel this illusion that purpose is somewhere else, that you can buy purpose off a shelf, but that actually how we live our lives creates the purpose and meaning of the life we lead. And by sharing my story, it was really just to show how very ordinary, a very ordinary person and very ordinary people become exceptional or become extraordinary when they find their calling and how people can find their own calling. I think the timing of your book is extraordinary because I think this year of all years in 2020, when our whole world has been turned upside down, we had just the bushfires at the start of the year over the Christmas period last year, and then the COVID-19 crisis has hit. And it's forced many of us to realise what makes us happy, what our true purpose is in life and what values we hold dear. Totally. You know, I finished the book in February, absolutely after bushfires and not knowing the kind of year we were going into, but you're so right about the timing. Over these last eight months, when the world stopped in a way that not a single one of us could have been prepared for it, not even in our wildest dreams. And what it did is it undermined our very core, undermined our security. So many people found themselves in a situation that, again, they could never have dreamed possible. And it did allow us and, and so many people to question, to question every part of their life. And so 
unwittingly, you know, there I was thinking, oh my God, now we've got no book launches, there no writers festival, how's this book going to get out? But I could not have realized the relevance because so many people who've read it now have come back to me and just said, oh my God, it's just been like a lifesaver because it just, it's just normalizes how we all can find this precious thing. And that definitely was lost for us in the framework of our lives. Ronnie, for you finding your purpose, you have such an extraordinary life story. And I was listening to an interview with you earlier talking about the moment you were able to find your purpose. And that was actually going back to your roots, back to where you were born and raised in South Africa. Tell us about that moment with your best friend that your whole life changed. So I'd been there's no doubt I'd been questioning and been seeking and actually had been a little bit of a rogue food rescuer, but had done nothing with it. It was just there. And I decided I needed a break and called on this wonderful childhood friend, family, family that's not blood (laughs) and said, I'm coming to South Africa for a week. I'm coming to see you. Now, I knew she'd been an activist. Her name is Selma Brody. She is 94. Oh, my gosh. The most extraordinary woman. I can never get hold of her because she's too busy. (laughs) Um, And I said, I'm coming. And she said, okay, well, you're going to come with me to Soweto. Now, growing up in South Africa, Soweto, in my mind, was this absolutely most scary place. Growing up white in apartheid South Africa, a a white person didn't venture into Soweto. It's where the indigent workers were all put in a way a bit like, I mean, a ghetto if you think about it because they weren't allowed to live in the city and this was a shanty town, exactly like you imagine the word. Houses cobbled together with corrugated iron, mud, stones and odd bits and pieces. And it was a scary place because a couple of million people worked there. There was huge crime because, didn't work there, lived there. Huge crime because there was such unemployment. And Selma says to me, we're going to visit Soweto. So first of all, the blood runs out my veins. And secondly, I think, okay, it is the new South Africa. Um, Mandela's since been released. I've never been back. Anyway, I go and we get in the car and she drives and it's just like, obviously, she goes there all the time and there's no fear in her and I haven't even expressed that my heart is beating so loud with fear. But as we drove into Soweto, Selma, under her breath, said, actually, I was responsible for electricity in Soweto. And when she said that, it was literally like a light bulb went off in my brain. And I thought, I want to know what it feels like to make that kind of difference to that many people. And the hairs on my arm stood up and it was as if the click was, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue food and do that and give it out to people. And I knew my life would never be the same again. I was a woman possessed and it's never changed. (laughs) 
You talk about a woman possessed, Ronnie, and, of course, that was the spark that, you know, I guess lit the fire of Oz Harvest, which is this extraordinary organisation that has saved and changed the lives of so many people in Australia. But you did have a lot of people that said this is never going to work. Tell us how difficult it was having that idea and then making it a reality. First of all, in my naivety, although all those people said that, I just actually didn't even hear them. But when we started and we were rescuing food from some of the caterers I knew because I'd been in the hospitality industry, a few businesses I'd approached who said, yes, yes, yes. When I realized the scale of the problem, I also realized that we'd have to scale up. And in a conversation with a supermarket, they said, we will never give you food. And some of my caterers said, we will never give you food. And the reason was because they were worried about their liability. They said, if we give you food and somebody gets ill, well, they're just going to come back to us and it'll come back on us. And so I realized that actually we had to change the law to allow good food to be given away for free without fear of liability. And so I found some wonderful pro bono lawyers. (laughs) who lobbied for me and with me barracking on the sidelines. And we bashed and battered. And in 2005, the law changed in New South Wales. In 2008, we had it changed in the ACT. And 2009, in Queensland and South Australia. And then the other states followed suit. So that fundamentally opened the door to anybody being able to give their food away and not worry that somebody could sue them. Ronnie, not only do you provide food to people that need it, you also have, I heard you talk recently about a story where you had this life-changing moment again about the difference you make to people's lives where Oz Harvest has supermarkets. Tell us about that and the situation you had with one visitor who was a mum with Easter eggs. Tell us about that story. Sure, because, you know, If you already need food and support, you can imagine how confronting it is to go. You have to go and register at an agency. It's it's humiliating. For me, I've always wanted everything we do to be about dignity. So I decided we needed to create a free supermarket where anybody could walk in and take what they need and give if they can. And it, it is working so beautifully. Unfortunately, now our Waterloo one in Sydney There are queues around the block, also because we have to be COVID safe, but but also because the number of people who need food has escalated so much. But in our supermarket, the first one we opened, I was standing there shortly after we'd opened. It was just after Easter. And this beautiful woman walks in with two children in tow. And she sees me and she came straight up to me and she said, oh, I, just, I just want you to know that my husband just lost his job and I've never. And she started trying to explain to me why she was there. And I said, stop, you don't have to tell me anything. This store is for anybody. Now let's go shopping. And it was just after Easter and we'd received the most beautiful surplus leftover perfectly within date boxes of Easter eggs, chocolates, cookies, and biscuits. And they were piled up in a big pallet. And as we got to them, the little boy grabbed his mother's dress and said, Mommy, 
I think this shop is too expensive for us. Mm. You know, your heart breaks when you hear that. But I said, no, this is a different kind of shop. And we just piled their basket up with those goodies. And then when we get to the end of the shop, um, there's no cash register. There's no means of taking money. There's only a box that says, take what you need, give if you can, one dollar, every dollar donated to Oz Harvest allows us to deliver two meals. And the mother stopped. She opened her wallet, pulled out a $5 note, showed it to both boys and said, boys, look, we have just allowed 10 meals to be delivered to people in need. Oh, my gosh. What was your reaction when you saw oh, that? Just bawling my eyes out. Mm. I had to, but, but it's, and so were the staff who were around, the volunteers. But it's about that ripple effect. You know, there she was, but already teaching the values. It doesn't matter where you are in the economic scale. There's always something you can do. And what a message, what a lesson to teach her kids so, yeah, I, I am blessed with extraordinary stories every day. And we're very, very lucky to have you and that you're sharing them <laughs> with this new book. Ronnie, I also want to ask you about we have dangerous misconceptions in, in, in our society today that some people may think we have a welfare system in Australia. There is no need for anyone to be homeless. Can you explain how dangerous that is? Because for yeah. some of us, by the grace of God, that some of us are just a couple of paychecks away from being on the street, especially if home is more dangerous than on the streets. Absolutely. And COVID brought out that absolute, the flaw in our economics so fundamentally. So in Australia, pre-COVID, the research shows that there are about 5 million people who at some point in the year need food relief. Now, there's probably 3 million who need that constantly. So first of all, that I'm not talking about the stereotype that we might have in our minds about a vulnerable person. You know, our stereotype comes, it's, it's an old man, maybe with broken teeth and matted hairs living on the street. That is a stereotype. The hidden face of hunger and the hidden face of food insecurity are youth, are women, and are families that, for a whole raft of reasons, have no way to finish the month or have no way to begin the month. And through COVID, what has happened is there are a million more people, we're calling them the new hungry people, who have never thought of themselves as needing food relief before. But how the economy worked when it just cut jobs, when the hospitality industry shut down and all of those casual workers and temporary workers and people who had jobs but lost them suddenly found themselves in dire need. That's a pretty frightening reality because you mentioned earlier that some of these people that need food, I mean, and that's a very, very basic need, yeah. gosh knows what else they may be needing, is that they had never sought help before and this crisis no. has forced them to go and seek help from wonderful organisations like yours. Yeah, and to make choices, you know, to say, okay, well, we need a roof over our heads so we'll 
scrounge the money for that, but then there's no money for food or swap between taking a medicine one day and eating another. And, you know, so this is real. And this is in our abundant and extraordinary country. So, Ronnie, how can we make a difference? How can we make sure that these people don't continue to slip through the cracks? So there are a couple of ways, Natasha. First of all, our system is broken. I mean, from a federal government point of view, we have to invest more. We have to invest in, and and the economics show that when you invest in this, it will bring extraordinary benefits and cost so much to keep people actually out of work and not able to contribute to society. But as an individual, you know, from an Oz Harvest point of view, there are three ways we always say people can help. The one is through their time. They can volunteer. And if they obviously, if they don't want to volunteer for Oz Harvest, volunteer somewhere because the volunteer community is a huge part of the GDP of our country. So that's volunteering. The second way, if you know people who are in the food supply chain, Please connect them with us because good food must not go to waste. It must not go to landfill because that is incredibly detrimental to our environment and food waste is the third biggest reason for climate change. And the third way is by giving money. And every single dollar makes a difference. If one, if a person signed up for $10 a month, let's say they chose not to have two coffees, as Harvest could deliver an extra 240 meals a year. So, you know, giving, it doesn't have to be big amounts. Incremental small amounts make a huge difference in the all-purpose world, in the charitable world, because we all fully reliant on philanthropy, funding, and giving. It's great advice, Ronnie. You were very blessed to find your purpose, but more importantly, you have made a difference to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives in our country. If someone's listening right now that is struggling to find their purpose, that has found 2020, like so many, incredibly challenging, what would your key piece of advice be to them? Look in the mirror. Think about... Think about what brings you joy. What are the, where are those moments where you feel fully in alignment? And think how you can do more of those. Or if you're in a job that you don't actually think you love, be the very best in it. Because when we start really being present with who we are and where we are in our lives, we can find such joy. We all have purpose and meaning. We get up every morning for a reason, whether it's to provide food on our table, whether it's to look after kids, a parent or something. Find the joy in that, in those tiny little acts of goodness to somebody else. And and the truth is, from what I'm told, reading my book is a pleasurable experience. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Buy my book, (laughs) read the book, and hopefully you'll find some nuggets there because that's what I'm being told. <laughs> Ronnie, you are a, an extraordinary nugget of gold and thank you for being the champion for people that need support the most and, as I mentioned earlier, for saving and changing so many lives in this country. Thank you for finding your purpose that have helped so many in this country. 
Well, thank you for just having this beautiful opportunity to start my day listening to your gorgeous voice and sharing a moment with you and whoever is listening. Much appreciated. Ronnie, you're a treasure and thank you so much for sharing your wise words of advice today. Bye. Have a beautiful day. And Ronnie's book, A Repurposed Life, is available now online and at all good bookstores. And don't forget, your morning agenda with the latest news headlines is back from Monday the 11th of January. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another episode in the summer series. It's certainly been a roller coaster year that many feared would see us experience depression-like economic conditions. But the tide has turned and the Australian economy has recovered better than expected. But what will next year look like? We'll get the latest financial advice on the share market, the impact of the ongoing trade war with China and the predictions for the real estate market and interest rates. I'm Natasha Belling. Thanks for your company. Have a great day and we'll see you for a new year tomorrow. Tomorrow.